filled with teaching, truths and issues that matter. Bernie Diamond's A Different Perspective, part of Night Vision each weeknight. Details at vision.org.au. I'm Tracy Weir. As another year draws to a close, the team from Vision National News is taking a look back at the events that made headlines. With many issues still unfolding, our hope is to give you a glimpse of what was and remind you to look to the author and finisher of our faith as another year begins. Geopolitics, military and alliances, along with defence capabilities, were a major focus of 2023. In February, AUKUS, Australia's military pact with the US and the UK, moved to its next phase. Defence Minister Richard Miles announced that Australia would purchase second-hand nuclear-powered submarines from the US to tide us over until we can manufacture the subs locally. It's the biggest step forward in our military capability that we've had since the end of the Second World War. And this, more than anything that we can do, it will, will allow us in a pretty difficult world to look after ourselves. The first Australian-made subs will begin rolling off the production line at an Adelaide shipyard from the mid-2040s. Shadow Defence Minister Andrew Hastie says we'll need more skills in science, technology and engineering. It's an opportunity for young Australians who want to cut steel on submarines, uh, the, those who want to be engineers, those who want to work in advanced technology uh, and those who want to become experts in nuclear science. This means a lot of opportunity for young Australians. The first phase of the plan will see more regular visits by American submarines to an Australian port from 2027. The Defence Strategic Review, released in April, recommended a major overhaul of the Army, including a reduction in armoured vehicles and the purchase of long-range strike missiles. The Army also increasing its focus on robots, artificial intelligence and quantum computing. $19 billion over four years has been allocated to the military, with Defence Minister Richard Miles saying it's time to reshape the army. Ultimately, what the DSR recommends and what the government is going to put in place will give rise to an army with a much more focused mission, with a much more enhanced capability. $50,000 bonuses will also be offered to some defence personnel to help boost staff numbers. Tensions between China and the West continued to bubble throughout the year. In early February, Beijing sent a suspected spy balloon across the US, which used technology to gather audiovisual information above sensitive military sites, transmitting that information directly back to China. The balloon was eventually shot down over coastal waters by US Defence Force missiles. In April, the Australian government banned TikTok for all politicians and public servants due to security concerns surrounding the Chinese-owned app. Shadow Cyber Security Minister James Patterson says it should have happened much sooner. While all social media apps certainly collect information on you and pose some risk, ones like TikTok, which are headquartered in an authoritarian country, pose a really extra degree of risk. So that's why I've never had it on my phone and I advise others not to put it on theirs either. The restrictions only cover government-issued devices and the ban brings Australia into line with other Western countries like the US, the UK, Canada and New Zealand. There was some slight thawing to Beijing's frosty relationship with Australia, though. In August, China announced it would lift trade restrictions on Australian barley after having imposed the 80% tariff during the pandemic. AI was one of the most talked-about topics in 2023. As Olivia Paul explains, in May, the US held a Senate inquiry into artificial intelligence. 
ChatGPT chief executive at the time, Sam Altman, called on the US government to control AI to keep the technology safe. He also outlined his concerns surrounding job losses, the impact on creative industries, and the potential for AI to be abused. Leading tech experts released a statement saying society should consider the risk of AI as seriously as those posed by pandemics and nuclear war. In June, Australia made moves to strengthen AI regulations. Industry Minister Ed Husick said the technology must be taken seriously. Whether or not the technology is getting ahead of itself, we've got a range of different laws at the moment uh, that do have some sort of ability to deal with things, but I think given what we've seen over the last few months, we do need to do a refresh of those, reform those laws. Measures being considered include banning AI facial recognition and social scoring tools like those used in China. Meanwhile, as part of federal budget measures, the Labor government revealed it would put $600,000 worth of funding towards an AI project to fuse brain cells with silicon chips. In July, the United Nations Security Council held its first talks on artificial intelligence. The UN flagged the establishment of a regulatory body to monitor its development, warning it poses a threat to peace and security. Former British Foreign Secretary James Cleverley said AI should be regulated. It could enhance or disrupt global strategic stability. It challenges our fundamental assumptions about defence and deterrence. It poses moral questions about accountability for lethal decisions on the battlefield. Mr Cleverly said no country will be untouched by AI because AI knows no boundaries. In October, Anthony Albanese announced that Australia's spy agency will partner with Microsoft under a new CyberShield program. In November, the first ever international conference on AI was held in the UK. Deputy Prime Minister Richard Marles attended on behalf of Australia and said the technology has the capability to improve people's lives but warned it should be approached with caution. Making sure that there is safety built into the way in which those technologies operate is profoundly important and given the complexity of artificial intelligence it's really important that that's done at an early stage. Mm. 28 nations, including the US and China, signed an agreement to work towards shared agreement and responsibility around AI risks. There was much attention on former US President Donald Trump throughout 2023 in the lead-up to the 2024 presidential election. Four indictments were filed against Mr Trump over the course of the year. Naomi Millam outlines the list of allegations. The range of allegations include falsifying business records, the mishandling of classified documents and obstructing an official proceeding, all of which Mr Trump denies. He's the first US president in history to be issued with criminal charges. Following his first court appearance, Donald Trump addressed supporters at his Mar-a-Lago estate. I never thought anything like this could happen in America. Never thought it could happen. The only crime that I have committed is to fearlessly defend our nation from those who seek to destroy it. Mr Trump described the FBI investigation into his possession of classified documents as the most evil and heinous abuse of power in his country's history. The charges in Georgia required Donald Trump to be processed at Fulton County Jail where a mugshot was taken. Three trial dates have been set for March and May in 2024. 
Still with US politics, a number of high-profile people announced their candidacy for the US presidential Republican nomination, including Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis, Vivek Ramaswamy and former Vice President Mike Pence, who later withdrew. Meantime, a familiar name also announced his intention to challenge Joe Biden for the 2024 nomination. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. announced he would run as a Democrat before deciding he would run as an independent. Here at home, the fabric of society was again under threat on several fronts. Olivia Paul explains. In March, a number of Let Women Speak rallies were held in capital cities, aimed at allowing women to voice their concern about protecting women-only spaces and women's rights. Victorian Liberal MP Moira Deeming attended and spoke at the Melbourne rally, which was gate-crashed by male neo-Nazis. Following the incident, Victorian Liberal leader John Pesuto announced he would move a motion to expel Ms Deeming as a member of the party, despite the fact she had no involvement with neo-Nazis whatsoever. A number of voices spoke out in defence of Moira Deeming, including Lyle Shelton, Catherine Deves, Tony Abbott, Pauline Hanson and Alex Antic. When it came time for the party to vote on her expulsion from the Liberals, Ms Deeming gave an impassioned speech in which she spoke from the heart about her history of child abuse and why she felt so strongly about protecting safe spaces for women and children. She also spoke about how hurtful it was to be referred to as a Nazi sympathiser when one of her relatives growing up was a Jewish Holocaust survivor. Liberal leader John Pesuto then proposed a compromise, instead moving to suspend Ms Deeming from the parliamentary party room for nine months. Ms Deeming subsequently launched defamation proceedings against Mr Pesuto. In other Christian news, Martin Isles left his role as managing director of the Australian Christian Lobby in February. Then, in May, it was announced that Martin would join the US-based Answers in Genesis as Chief Ministry Officer to aid in the overall leadership of the ministry alongside CEO Ken Ham. Then, in November, Mr Isles was promoted to Executive CEO of Answers in Genesis with Ken Ham to remain Founder-CEO. In the meantime, Michelle Pierce was appointed as new Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby. She had previously worked with the group before pastoring a church in London. Again this year, the fight to value human life continued. In June, a Senate committee hearing was held into the Children Born Alive Protection Bill, which was sponsored by Senators Matt Canavan, Alex Antic and Ralph Babbitt. The bill, initially introduced by George Christensen, would require doctors to provide medical treatment or palliative care to a baby born alive after an abortion. In October, the Queensland Health Department changed its guidelines to require all health professionals to provide appropriate care for babies born with signs of life during a late-term abortion. The Australian Christian Lobby hailed the change as a win for babies and for the pro-life movement. In the meantime, in September, Western Australia removed abortion from the criminal code, making the procedure more accessible. The Australian Christian Lobby denounced the abortion bill, saying it missed implementing important safeguards, such as a ban on sex selection abortion. The ACL's WA director, Peter Abetz, has told Vision Radio anybody with a sense of fairness would find some of the provisions in the new laws to be unacceptable. I think it's a tragic day for unborn babies and I think it's the height of arrogance of the Labor government to not have allowed any amendments because now this is undoubtedly, I would say, the most liberal abortion law anywhere in the world. There are also concerns over how the laws will affect doctors who conscientiously object. 
There was an outcry in the ACT as a much-loved hospital lost its autonomy. Naomi Millam has more. This year, the Catholic-run Calvary Hospital was forcibly acquired by the ACT government and renamed the North Canberra Hospital. A petition and campaign by the Canberra Diocese was unable to prevent the takeover from happening and at the beginning of July, the large crucifix was removed from the hospital entrance. Australian Christian Lobby Deputy Dan Flynn said it was sad to see. So while the Christians were at church yesterday, the trucks and the cranes were busy removing the cross and the religious imagery from that hospital and that's an appalling thing to see. Christian commentator Lyle Shelton likened the move to the actions of a totalitarian regime similar to that of Beijing. Father Tony Percy, who led the task force in response to the takeover, told One Way FM findings from an inquiry revealed the hospital was targeted purely for its religious affiliation. But then on the, the back end of this inquiry, listen to this, it described Calvary, its deliveries of service, as problematic due to an overriding religious ethos. Would they, would they say that the, the same about St Vincent's in Sydney? Listen to the language. Problematic due to an overriding religious ethos. Father Percy said the acquisition sets a dangerous precedent for other religious-affiliated organisations. It was a year of resignations and leadership change. Here's Gareth Stafford. At the end of March, after 12 years in power, the New South Wales Coalition was ousted, with voters electing a new Labor government led by Chris Minns. The result meant Labor now controlled all state and territory governments across mainland Australia. Dominic Perrottet and Chris Minns were praised for running civil and respectful election campaigns. Both men also had kind words to say about the other, with Chris Minns acknowledging Dominic Perrottet's character. I do hold him in high regard. I think he held himself very well in this election campaign and despite the fact that he lost and we won, I don't think this political campaign diminished him at all. Following the election, Dominic Perrottet stepped down as New South Wales Liberal leader and was replaced by Mark Speakman. In May, Mark McGowan made the shock announcement that he'd retire as WA Premier, citing a lack of energy and drive to continue in the role. Hugely popular in his state, Mr McGowan had been Premier since 2017. Roger Cook was chosen as his replacement. In the same month, Federal Member for Fadden, Stuart Robert, announced his retirement from politics after 16 years. Earlier in the year, fellow Liberal Alan Tudge resigned, citing his health and family as the reasons behind his decision. At the end of September, Victorian Premier Daniel Andrews announced his retirement after nine years in the job. He also cited family as the reason for his decision. So, have been Premier for nine years and the leader of my party for 13 years is a greater set of opportunities than I ever thought would be afforded to me. Can I say to you that the moment you're not comfortable doing this job as a a defining feature, your entire life pretty much, you have to step away. In December, Queensland Premier Anastasia Palaszczuk announced she'd be stepping down after having been in the role since 2015. She said she didn't have the fight left in her to stay on as leader. She was the state's 39th Premier and Queensland's longest reigning female Premier. Overseas earlier in the year, New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern's surprise resignation made such waves it now boasts its own Wikipedia page. After five years in the top job, Ms Ardern declared she no longer had enough in the tank. Education Minister Chris Hipkins was sworn in as her replacement. Ms Ardern has since taken up a position at Harvard University, specialising in technology governance and involvement in the artificial intelligence industry. There were a number of other high-profile resignations throughout the year. In September, Qantas CEO Alan Joyce stepped down, 
following scrutiny of the airline for decisions made during the pandemic. It was decided the RBA governor, Philip Lowe's tenure, would not be extended for another term. The Prime Minister said it was time for a reset, and Mr Lowe was replaced by his deputy, Michelle Bullock. In November, Optus CEO Kelly Bayer-Rosemar intended her resignation following a Senate inquiry into a major nationwide outage, which affected more than 10 million customers. In sporting retirements, Richmond Tigers coach Damien Hardwick called it quits in the AFL in May, later in the year announcing a move to the Gold Coast Suns after the sacking of coach Stuart Jew. Swans staple Buddy Franklin called time on his career in August and switching codes to the NRL, and Gold Coast Titans coach Justin Holbrook was sacked in June and replaced by former Manly coach Des Hasler. We lost a number of notable figures during 2023. The new year began with tributes to former Pope Emeritus Benedict, who had died on the 31st of December 2022. He was laid to rest in St Peter's Basilica in Rome, with the current Pope, Francis, presiding over his funeral. Days later, Cardinal George Pell passed away due to complications from hip surgery at the age of 81. Other notable deaths include pastor and author Jack Hayford, founder of Operation Mobilisation George Verwa, pastor and broadcaster Charles Stanley, Melbourne priest Father Bob Maguire, Christian TV host Pat Robertson, broadcaster Mal Garvin, Liberal Senator Jim Molan and Labor MP Peter Murphy. A new era was ushered in for the monarchy. In May, Charles III was crowned king in a slimmed-down coronation ceremony. The event was televised around the world, and both the Prince of Wales and Prince George had roles in the service. During the ceremony, King Charles III was anointed with holy oil and crowned by the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby. Indigenous issues were at the forefront of conversations across 2023. Tony Davenport looks at the major stories. Early in the year, there were calls from Alice Springs residents for governments to address the out-of-control crime impacting the town. 225 break-ins had been reported in January alone. After some deliberation, Prime Minister Anthony Albanese flew to Alice Springs, meeting with local Indigenous leaders and the Northern Territory's Chief Minister. New alcohol restrictions were introduced in a bid to curb crime, and the number of reported break-ins fell, while youth violence dropped by 36%. Hospitals also saw alcohol-related emergency presentations plunged by 40%. Funding for community groups, police operations and emergency accommodation was also announced. In July, the Northern Territory Government extended the alcohol restrictions for a further 12 months, saying they were proving effective in reducing alcohol-related crime. In March, the Prime Minister revealed the question Australians would be asked in the referendum on whether to enshrine an Indigenous voice to Parliament in the Constitution. The question that Australians will be asked at this year's referendum is a very simple one. It will read, A proposed law to alter the Constitution to recognise the First Peoples of Australia by establishing an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander voice. Do you approve this proposed alteration? That's the question before the Australian people. Nothing more, but nothing less. The question was put to a vote in October, with Australians overwhelmingly voting against the advisory body being written into the Constitution. Dominating headlines in most recent weeks has been the unprecedented attacks on Israel. Naomi Millam has more. On October 7th, Palestinian terrorist group Hamas launched an unprecedented attack on Israel. 
Hundreds of Israelis were killed and around 250 kidnapped and forced into Gaza by thousands of Hamas militants who breached the border by land and air. The terrorists attacked on a Jewish holiday, firing rockets from Gaza and using bulldozers and paragliders to scale fences and massacre hundreds of young people at an outdoor music festival. As the days unfolded, the extent of the devastation came to light, with the IDF confirming families living in Jewish settlements had been slaughtered in their homes, including unspeakable atrocities against children and babies. The Israeli death toll surpassed 1,200, and the Jewish nation responded swiftly, killing around 1,500 Hamas terrorists and securing the border. Hamas kidnapped around 150 Israelis and forced them into Gaza, where they were held as hostages. The Israel Defence Forces mobilised, with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu formally declaring war, vowing to destroy Hamas. We didn't want this war. It was forced upon us in the most brutal and savage way. But though Israel didn't start this war, Israel will finish it. Once the Jewish people were stateless, once the Jewish people were defenceless, no longer. Hamas will understand that by attacking us, they've made a mistake of historic proportions. Hundreds of thousands of IDF ground troops assembled on the Gaza border. A fresh threat from the northern border with Lebanon also became a reality, with Iranian-backed Hezbollah firing rockets at Israel. Western leaders voiced their support for Israel and condemned the attacks by Hamas. US President Joe Biden declared his nation was standing with Israel and also offered military equipment and aid. The United States has also enhanced our military force posture in the region to strengthen our deterrence. The Department of Defense has moved the USS Gerald R. Ford Carrier Strike Group to the eastern Mediterranean and bolstered our fighter aircraft presence. And we stand ready to move in additional assets as needed. In a symbol of solidarity, President Biden paid a visit to Israel along with his Secretary of State, Antony Blinken. British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak also flew to Israel to show his support. Meantime, the conflict sparked pro-Israel and anti-Israel protests around the world. In Sydney, the sails of the Opera House were lit up in the colours of the Israeli flag in honour of the victims of the October 7th attack. However, the peaceful vigil was disrupted by Palestinian protesters chanting anti-Semitic slogans. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese told Parliament Australia must stand against anti-Semitism. Mr Speaker, just as Hamas stands in the way of the peaceful future for Israelis and Palestinians alike, they try to drive division in every peace-loving democratic society, and they seek to fan the embers of anti-Semitism. We cannot allow that. We will not allow that. Addressing the National Press Club, Israel's ambassador to Australia, Amir Maimon, said Hamas is only interested in the destruction of the Jewish people. Hamas is not interested in coexistence or peace. It is not interested in a better life for the two million Gazans, but in the elimination of the Jewish state and the murder of its citizens. Within days, Israel advised all Palestinians in northern Gaza to relocate south as it made preparations for its ground operations. A humanitarian corridor was created via the Rafah border crossing from Gaza into Egypt as Israel announced that Gaza would no longer receive fuel, water or electricity until hostages were freed. While some Gazans fled south, many in the north were told by Hamas to stay put. The IDF began targeted raids in northern Gaza, destroying Hamas hiding places and clearing the way for a wider offensive. 
Over consecutive weeks, thousands of Hamas terrorists were eliminated, including some senior leaders. Proxy groups also targeted dozens of U.S. military bases across the Middle East. The U.S. responded with airstrikes on targets linked to Iranian-backed militias in Syria and Iraq. In mid-October, Israel was blamed for an explosion outside a hospital in Gaza, which killed hundreds of people. However, the IDF then revealed that the explosion was caused by an Islamic jihadi rocket, which had been intended to strike Israel but misfired from the hospital car park. These claims were also confirmed by US intelligence. Israel said Hamas often uses hospitals as military bases and uses civilians as human shields. The largest hospital in Gaza, Al-Shifa, ran out of power, while Israel confirmed it had found a Hamas military base underneath the facility. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said Israel was helping move civilians to a safe place. Well, we've called to evacuate all the patients from that hospital, and in fact, uh, 100 or so have already been evacuated. I've called for field hospitals. 31 premature babies were successfully evacuated from Al-Shifa Hospital to southern Gaza. Israel said it had also offered fuel so the hospital could continue operating and treating patients, but the offer was rejected by Palestinians. At the end of November, after international negotiations, Israel and Hamas began a ceasefire, with Hamas agreeing to release some Israeli hostages in exchange for Palestinian prisoners being held in Israeli jails. Of the original 240 people abducted, there are about 140 still held by terrorists in Gaza. The year in sport kicked off with the usual summer of tennis. Gareth Stafford has more. In tennis, Novak Djokovic added another grand slam to his swag of titles with a straight sets victory over the young Greek star Stefanos Tsitsipas at the Australian Open. It was the 22nd career major for Djokovic, which tied him with Rafael Nadal's record. But Djokovic didn't have such success at the Wimbledon final, going down to rising Spaniard Carlos Alcaraz. It was the 20-year-old's second Grand Slam win, but first Wimbledon title. Yeah, it's like Billy Nowak uh, winning a Wimbledon uh, championship is something that I dream uh, about since I, since I started playing tennis. So uh, that's why it's the biggest moment of my life. At the end of the year, Australia made it to the Davis Cup finals, facing off against Italy. But Alexi Popperin was beaten by Matteo Arnaldi before Yannick Sinner defeated Alex Dimener, giving Italy a Davis Cup victory for the first time since 1976. In April, the Australian Grand Prix in Melbourne saw a record number of people attend, with 444,000 spectators crossing through the gates. Max Verstappen came out on top for Red Bull, with Lewis Hamilton coming in second and Fernando Alonso claiming third place. Oscar Piastri was the fastest finishing Australian, coming in eighth for McLaren. There was a real focus on women's sport in 2023. In August, the Australian Diamonds beat England to claim their 12th Netball World Cup. But it was Matilda's fever which swept the nation as Australia co-hosted the FIFA Women's World Cup with New Zealand. Affectionately dubbed the Tillies, our home team captured the nation's heart, with fans young and old decked out in green and gold, cheering from living rooms, stadiums and live sites across the country. Captain Sam Kerr was ruled out with injury just before their first match, but the girls still went on to beat Ireland 1-0. Continuing through the group stage, they then suffered a shock loss to Nigeria before defeating Olympic champions Canada. The round of 16 saw the Tillies beat Denmark in front of a crowd of more than 75,000 to advance to the quarterfinals. Striker Sam Kerr also played for the first time since recovering from a calf injury, coming off the bench for the final 10 minutes to the delight of the crowd. And what is shaping up to be a perfect night for Australia... 
might soon be a perfect night for Australia because Sam Kerr, the face of the tournament, is on. The Matildas then took on France in the quarterfinals, which turned out to be a history-making match. It all boiled down to a thrilling penalty shootout with the nation on the edge of their seats. It was the longest penalty shootout in World Cup history, with 10 attempts from each team, but it was Courtney Vine who buried the winning shot for Australia, with the Tillies through to the semi-finals for the first time. They then faced England, who were too strong for the Matildas, the Lionesses proving their dominance with a 3-1 win. Spain went on to win the tournament, while the Tillies lost their third-place playoff against Sweden to end their campaign. Captain Sam Kerr says regardless of the result, the team already felt like winners, thanks to the fans. They have created that. They have made us feel like, you know, we have done something amazing for them. And I've just, you know, walked down the street just with Maka just before and everyone was just saying thank you. Not, you know, well done that they normally do or great goal, just thank you. Fans say the legacy they've created is worth more than gold. In rugby league, the Queensland Maroons won the first two State of Origin games, reclaiming the title with an underdog team. New South Wales led 18-16 in Game 1, but the Maroons scored two late tries to snatch victory. Queensland then went on to win Game 2 32-6 on home soil, making it back-to-back -back titles. New South Wales then won the Game 3 dead rubber in Sydney. In club fixtures, the Brisbane Broncos faced off against the Penrith Panthers in the Grand Final. The Panthers pulled off the biggest comeback in NRL Grand Final history to win their third straight premiership, coming back from 24-8 down to defeat Brisbane 26-24. Halfback Nathan Cleary awarded the Clive Churchill medal for almost single-handedly dragging his team into the history books. Switching codes to the AFL, and the Collingwood Magpies defeated the Brisbane Lions in front of a 100,000-strong crowd at the MCG. The final score 12-18-90 to 13-8-86. Pies coach Craig McRae told the AFL 360 podcast the key to success was the side's unique approach to training. We go and train and then we have these moments where resets, run off, mm -hmm. relax, take mm -hmm. a breath. Like the wicketkeeper can't do 90 overs, stand at the stumps, just so intense. You've got to be able to switch on and off. And So we work really hard to allow us to match day to be relaxed. It was the Pies' 16th premiership and their first since 2010. Four goals from small forward Bobby Hill saw him take home the Norm Smith medal as best on ground. In cricket, Australia retained the Ashes in July after rain forced a draw in the fourth test while it was leading the series 2-1. But it wasn't without controversy though, after English batsman Johnny Bairstow stepped out of his crease thinking the ball was dead and was run out by Australian wicketkeeper Alex Carey. Oh, now this is going to be interesting. Johnny Bairstow's walked out of his crease here. This could well be out. I don't think there was a call of over. Johnny Bairstow's ducked and then walked out of his crease. Alex Carey's just thrown the ball at the stumps and hit them. Australia was booed and heckled by British spectators, convinced that Bairstow had been unfairly dismissed. Both nations' prime ministers even jokingly weighed in on the incident, with Anthony Albanese saying he was proud of the team. Still with cricket and Australia's one-day team won the World Cup for the sixth time. Travis Head hit a century during the game off just 95 deliveries, just the third Australian male to do so in a final. As we embark on another year, we are confident there will be many stories of triumph and tragedy, many stories highlighting how the biblical worldview is under attack. It is becoming increasingly common for that which is questionable to be labelled as fact, for that which is truth to be labelled as extreme, and for that which is damaging to be passed off as choice. Our aim is to keep you informed on the issues of the day, 
Sadly, the stories we report on are often not good news, but they are the issues that will impact our lives, both now and into the future. We as a news team are grateful for the gift of faith, because as the writer of Hebrews tells us, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, a conviction of things not seen. We trust that you too will hold fast to that assurance in the year ahead. From myself and the team at Vision National News, we wish you all the best for the coming year and look forward to serving you further in 2024.